The Athletic. Totally Football Show. Today, internationals, the deciders. Hearts are flutter with some teams bound for Qatar and some for the gutter. We talk Italy versus Knights of Macedonia. Portugal, time to give Chris a miss. Wales, Bale as Brian Lara and the Joloff Derby, who will rise to the occasion. Hey, all that plus a fat slice of inter-totally excitement in this Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Welcome, listener. So, yeah, Wednesday, a bit early for us uh, this week because it's a special week. This is Wednesday the 23rd of March. Might drop a little bit later than that. But with us, with me here, Duncan Alexander and Tom Williams. Hello. 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 Hello, James. Hello to you, Duncan and Tom. And today, a cast of literally three around the world. They'll be joining us to give us the full global picture of what's an international weekend, yes, but arguably the best international weekend break ever, ever. What do you think? You know, about half the teams in the World Cup are going to be decided in the course of the next five, six days. does feel like quite a decisive few days. Um, and I think for people who who will want to, to thumb their noses at international football, I think they're in for a, a shock because I think these next few days are going to be pretty, uh, pretty uh, significant. Right, are you thumbing your nose, listener? Stop it, because this is pretty exciting. Duncan, you come fresh from the Opta Pro Forum, so you know all about excitement. <laughs> yeah, I do. What was, the, what was going good. on at the Opta Pro Forum? Um, some very good presentations this year. There's a lot of kind of spatial stuff, marrying kind of, you know, traditional metrics with with predicting where stuff's going to happen, sort of, you know, sort of breaking the lines, breaking high presses, how to design attacking triggers based on, you know, spatial algorithms and stuff like that. So all, all pretty advanced stuff, but I think it's, um, you know, it's very much the sort of things that the top clubs uh, are doing behind the scenes, and that's why they can play this, you know, pretty extraordinary uh, modern football. So, um, yeah. yeah, very interesting. Did the top clubs have people who come along? To hear the yes, play. yes, there were there were many people from many many clubs from around the world actually. So oh, um, yeah, yeah. I mean, the first one was in 2014, and that you know there weren't many then, but it, it kind of shows how the how the industry and the space has has changed. I guess that yeah, now I think there were well over sort of 50 or 60 clubs represented. So um, really, it's very much a kind of you know a kind of talking uh, shop ideas exchange for the you know football clubs around the world so yeah it's good to you get speak? a glimpse behind the curtain i didn't speak i'm i'm not clever enough to to do that sort of stuff i'm there you know they they don't need wry comments when they're busy solving football so you know lord knows we do duncan so thank you for being with us as we address this incredibly important uh three four five six not sure how many days uh mentioned the fact that about half the teams going to the World Cup will be decided in the course of the next week or so. Who are they going to be? Well, we've got 10 teams already through from Europe, defending champions France, four-time winners Germany, ex-champion Spain and England, plus 2018 runners-up Croatia. There's Denmark, Belgium, Serbia, Switzerland and the Netherlands already through. Three more European sides to be decided, and those will come from the qualifying playoffs. The semi-finals of which will come this Thursday. You've got Sweden against the Czech Republic. The winner will face Poland in the decider next Tuesday for one place. Italy taking on North Macedonia. The winner of that will face the victor of Portugal-Turkey for another place. And the big one, Wales-Austria, the winner of which will face at some point Scotland and or Ukraine, depending on which one, if they get to play their qualifier. Mm. Anyway, all right. Wales, you say? Yes. You're listening to The Totally Football Show, sponsored by Paddy Power and part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Moore in the middle, Connor Roberts to James, over Roberts, through to Kiefer Moore! Yeah! It's that man again! Kiefer Moore, Tom, who's going to be Kiefer Wales this time? Well, sadly, it won't be Kiefer Moore uh, himself uh, because he is injured um, and is missing the game. The last player, as we just heard, to have scored a goal for Wales. Won't be there. So a bit of a downer. Wales have got mm. three probable first-team absentees in Danny Ward, the goalkeeper, who is injured. Kiefer Moore, 
who is also injured, and Joe Morrell, who is suspended. Um, so uh, Rob Page will have to plug those gaps uh, as best he can. But the good news mm. is that mm. Aaron Ramsey and Gareth Bale both look like they're going to be fit. Neither of them have been playing a great deal of football uh, of late. Um, but then that's always the case mm. uh, with Ramsey and Bale when it comes to Wales. They very frequently go into these these key international fixtures having played next to no football uh, over the previous weeks or months. And yet they, they very often manage to to produce decent performances. Um, and as ever with Wales and World Cup qualifiers, there is just that, that cloying, uh, horrible uh, mm. sense of dread creeping in already uh, because Wales and World Cup qualifiers tend not to go together all that well. Joe Jordan's handball, Paul Bowden's Bowden. penalty, etc., etc. Mm. Um, but yeah, a great chance for Wales to to, to get to the final um, of, of the playoffs. Of course, this game against Austria is on home soil in Cardiff, as will the final be. Right. Um, and uh, yeah, I guess we'll uh, we'll see how they get on. I guess we will. Tom, as you know, not since 1958 have Wales made it to the World Cup when uh, the Welsh became the first team Pele ever scored a World Cup goal against. Basically made him. Yeah. Pelé, he, was, he, he had no kind of reputation prior to that. And then Wales right. came Just needed along some easy and, games, didn't he, to warm up? Wales came along and showed, it, showed him the way. What do you normally do in a World Cup, Tom? <laughs> well, like historically... Support England? His, probably not. His, historically, you just pick another team. And that was actually one of the... That was, uh, you know, a, a kind of silver lining for me as a, as a, as a, as a boy uh, and as an adolescent and as a young man was being able to basically pick your pick your your Wales alternative at the World Cup. Mm. I, had, I had a bit of a soft spot for Portugal for a while. Mm. And you felt justified as a Welsh person actively supporting another country uh, because you felt that, you know, your own country would, would probably never qualify. Um, and although... What was the criteria for your selection? Was it someone who perhaps beaten you in qualifying or one of your, your, your club's favourite players? Out. Yeah, that would, that would probably be the sort of fairest way of doing it. I think I just picked teams that I quite liked. Okay. Quite, I remember quite liking Portugal at Euro 96, quite liking the kit. Hmm. It felt like a good fit. Um, that was, Who was that the was weirdest a... one you chose? Yeah, I mean, now I think back, it Wales, was it was probably. mainly it was mainly it was mainly Portugal most of the time. Mm. I felt I felt a weird. I was like, well, now that you know, I can't just go constantly chopping and changing. I've got to got to see this through. Right. Um, and of course, sadly for me, mm. when Portugal finally won a major tournament, it was oh, the one tournament that Wales had also qualified yeah. for. So I didn't even get to get to enjoy that because they'd knocked Wales out. I mean, they obviously play in red and are on the left hand side of a country that's actually won the World Cup. So, yeah, I guess it kind of makes sense. So. Portugal, the Wales of the Iberian Peninsula. Interesting. Um, that key for more goal, which we were hearing there, the roar that accompanied it was of tens of thousands of happy Welsh fans aware that now their side would be at home for this crucial one-legged semi and Wales so very, very strong at home, Tom. Yeah, 16 games unbeaten at home, which is pretty remarkable. And yeah, a sign of of, of how comfortable Wales feel at, at the Cardiff City Stadium, um, which you know has been the scene of so many of, of Wales's most impressive performances and most impressive results in, in recent years. And I, I think that will give them you know, hopefully give them a little a little edge. You know, we've seen Wales beat Belgium there in, in, in key games. Um, you know, when they had, when they qualified for Euro twenty twenty, it's with a, a a home victory over over Hungary. Um so they you know they, they know the ropes when it comes to these matches. And I mean I suppose that the funny thing with Wales is that like for so long you just dreamt of seeing them qualify for a major tournament. You know, just just one uh, and that would and that would do. So for Wales to have qualified for two uh, European Championships, and you know, to obviously reach the semi-finals at Euro 2016, that has that has fulfilled so many, uh, you know, childhood ambitions for Wales fans. The great thing about the last few years, from a Wales point of view, is that so much of the kind of hurt of, of previous years has been sort of has been kind of washed away by right. by these great performances, these these great achievements. But that having never having not qualified for a World Cup since 1958, that still. Mm. That still that breaks. That still hurts. That still yeah. rankles. And um, mm. you look at this group of players, and mm. um, you know Aaron Ramsey, Gareth Bale, Joe Allen, Ben Davis. You know the last survivors of Euro 2016. This will probably be their last chance. You know their best chance to qualify for a World Cup. So there's there's a there's a lot riding on him. Bale, who's who's played as, as you kind of 
hinted earlier, very little. 77 minutes of competitive football since November. Would you start him? Yeah, I, th- I think if he's fit, particularly with Kiefer Moore being out um, and uh, Tyler Roberts is an, uh, unavailable as well, another option um, at, at the sharp end of the pitch. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, this this has been a theme of, of Gareth Bale's, you know, relationship with the national team in in recent years. And I remember like a while back sort of, you know, thinking aloud as to whether Gareth Bale might prove to be the first footballer to ever retire from club football in order to focus purely on international football. And he kind of has. Like, he kind yeah. of has. Like, he, he plays for Real Madrid every few weeks just to remind everyone that he still exists and, you know, get, get in a bit of form. But the, the focus has always been Wales. He could be like, you know how cricketers, you've got sort of Brian Lara playing for some sort of Kent village team but then obviously still playing international cricket. He could, he could do a version of that, just sign for some tiny team just to get the odd run out and, uh, and keep doing the, the business up to the World Cup. Mm. I mean, that would All be right. a great fit for Gareth Bale. He's already completed club football you know, multiple times over. What, in terms of, what football in terms of club what is closest won. to the most golf courses? You could probably like geolocate the perfect club. I mean, you you wouldn't be out of place in in the Algarve um, if mm. you could find a football pitch. And as discussed, you know the Welsh Portuguese connections mm-hmm. are, are are multiple. So maybe maybe there's the solution. Food for thought, Tom. Austria, your opponents, a team which impressively finished fourth in their qualifying group behind Denmark, Scotland, and Israel. Hmm. They only indeed made it to a qualifying semi final because they'd done well in the Nations League algorithms. Anyway. There you go. Get through this. Are you confident you're going to get through? I I think I think Wales are favourites for this. I mean, Austria, I worry about Austria because I remember how well they did against Italy at Euro 2016. They're a very experienced team, very hard-working team, lots of wise old heads. Um, but yeah, their World Cup qualifying performance doesn't exactly suggest they're, they're a team to be feared. I mean, they lost 5-2 to Israel. They lost to Scotland even. So they, they can't be that good. Uh, so I'm, uh, you know, Ooh. relatively optimistic, wow. I would say. Yeah, Scotland, who you could be facing, you, you might be eating those words come, um, you know, when and if, etc. Mm. Tom, Don't you mentioned the few survivors from the 2016 squad. Um, Sam Vokes is another one. I'm not, a, not a survivor. He's not in the squad, but like he, he's been playing very well in League One this season. I wonder if someone like that could be an option on, could have been an option from the bench, you know, late on if it wasn't going your way. Yeah, I mean, he's got the same sort of profile as, as Kiefer Moore, um, yeah. and has you know has, has done the business in a Wales shirt. On a, a slight side note, one of my finest achievements as, as a football fan was getting a bar full of Schalke fans uh, mm. to sing a Sam Vokes song. Um, while standing on tables at about two o'clock in the morning in some random bar on a stag do in Berlin, right, uh, a few years back. How did you um, How did you manage this? It was It was one of those sort of quite kind of kind of stag doy sort of nights out where you uh-huh. you end up in a bar with a bunch of football fans and you're sort of having having those very basic football exchanges which consist of just exchanging the names of famous players or like the names of famous teams and that moved on to sort of exchanging chat that's it I remember I we uh, I was with a mate who was a Burnley fan and mm. at the time Sam Bokes was, was playing for Burnley and we wanted to know all of Schalke's most venomous anti-Dortmund songs you know just just for our own you know sort of portfolio of 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 vile football chants uh, mm. and they wanted something in return and we couldn't think of anything similarly vile so we we gave them the, the Sam Vokes chant and they really they they really took to it okay that's raised more questions than it's answered i, I there's think there's your but... second book do you chant vileness they, well there you go there mm. it is actually but still uh, anyway wales if they do get past Austria, have a, uh, a long wait. Uh, they're talking about June, perhaps, for the Scotland-Ukraine playoff. But right now, that's a long way from a lot of people's thoughts. Uh, meantime, drama, Claxon. There it is. Uh, one of Italy and Portugal are not going to be at the World Cup, or perhaps even both. We'll take a look at that playoff group next. So what do you think about this Jesse Marsh, then? I quite like him. He's American, and American managers never get relegated, do they? That's because there's no relegation in Major League Soccer. Oh. 
It would be generous to say Leeds definitely won't get relegated, but if you want generous, try Paddy Power's Bet Builder offer and get money back as a free bet if one leg of your fourfold Bet Builder lets you down. Paddy Power! Pre match online Bet Builder bets only. Win odds 1 to 5 per leg. Max free bet £10 per day. Seven day free bet expiry. Excludes enhanced match odds. Eligibility restrictions and T's and C's apply. 18 plus begamblerware.org. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. The Athletic is the only place you can read articles by Daniel Taylor, Amy Lawrence, Phil Hay, James Pierce, Ollie Kay, and the very best football writers around. Excitingly, the winners of the past two European Championships are both in the same playoff group. Italy, who will be facing Macedonia on Thursday, while Portugal, the same day, take on Turkey. Crikey, Portugal looked good through much of the qualifying, but they blew it in the final group games with a goalless draw against Republic of Ireland, then losing at home 2-1 to Serbia. The Mitrovic goal. Now comes Turkey, and joining us now on the line is Portuguese football analyst Thiago Esteval. Thiago, hello. Hello. A big week this for Portuguese football. First off, are you still scarred by that Mitrovic winner? Uh, I kind of felt like it was coming, so not really. Okay. Uh, it didn't feel like a surprise, you know. Right. What was a surprise, I think, to a lot of us was Portugal's home record had been uh, fantastic. No, I think it was 10 wins on the bounce in qualifying before that Serbia win. What, what has been the kind of reaction since, not only to that, but the, the nil-nil draw against Republic of Ireland, which also scuppered your chances of going straight through to the World Cup? Yeah, I feel like there's a general, um, there's just general negative feelings towards the national team. Uh, I think uh, everyone is aware of the size of the talent pool, right? And the just the amount of high-quality players that the team has at, has a, at its disposal. But as far as approach to the games and play style and now results as well, it just hasn't been successful. And uh, the nation, I guess, the people were incredibly supportive of the, the win at the Euro, but at one point or another, people started demanding more because the team simply wasn't performing to the standard of of the quality of its players, right? And um, mm. there's a general apprehension towards towards the national team from from most people at this point, especially after the last World Cup, which was unsuccessful, the last year, which was unsuccessful, and just in general, qualifying campaigns that have been successful result-wise, but that you can clearly see, much like this one, that the team isn't performing at a level that is satisfactory. And it's quite a, quite a tense uh, situation. Hmm. What's the big talking point ahead of the clash with Turkey? I read that there's a lot of debate about whether Cristiano Ronaldo should start or not. Yeah, I mean, the, the Cristiano situation has been a, a point of extreme debate for, for a long while because, you know, he's a, an elite goal scorer, but these days he doesn't offer that much else. And there is an argument of whether or not the, the national team plays better without him. And then the counter-argument is that he scores goals every time he's on the pitch. So um, that's, that's been a constant debate for, for months now, I'd say. But I think the, the main talking point going into the Turkey game and going into just this window in general, because people are still hoping to go through and face Italy or Macedonia afterwards, uh, I think the main talking point is the centre-back situation. Mm. So at the moment, Ruben Diaz is injured and he, he didn't make the, the national team camp, of course, and uh, Pepe got called up, but he tested positive for COVID and got dropped because of it. So the two starting centre-backs are out for this one, and that will be a major blow because it's by far the weakest position in the Portuguese player pool, and it's a position that hasn't been prepared por- properly for a, for a post-Fonte and Pepe revolution, per se. 
Mm. At the other end, though, you do have an abundance of talent. Bruno Fernandes, Bernardo Silva, Diogo Jota, João Felix, who's really uh, been uh, firing in recent weeks. Are they all fit for the game? Yeah, I think the the problem isn't a lack of talent in attack, right? I think everyone is aware of just, the, like you say, the abundance of talent. I think it's more so just how to use it. It's been quite a tough couple of years as far as, you know, trying to find an attacking stability within this national team. Uh, mm. You could almost argue there's too much talent. Uh, I think there's, in general, a coaching staff that hasn't been productive at getting the best out of these players offensively and in possession mostly and you have a bunch of players that are all incredibly talented on their own but that the national team coach struggles to put together in a lineup and struggles to find the best place for them so you have someone like Bernardo Silva who is one of the best players in the Premier League a very influential player through central areas for City that almost always starts from wide right for Portugal and is very rarely performing at the level that he does for, for City. And this goes for so many of the others, right? Bruno Fernandes, like you say, Cristiano, Felix, Jota from Liverpool is actually someone that tends to tends to step up really well for the national team recently. But even then, because so many of these players have kind of this versatility to them, that has almost not helped them because that, that means there's been a constant like reshuffle of the approach and reshuffle of the positions that these players have played for the national team and that hasn't really helped. But Jota is kind of the, the standout one of the attacking players as far as bringing his performance level from club, uh, from club level to, to the national team. It's a big game against uh, Turkey. Is, the, is this kind of mood of apprehension, is, is there a a great fear about missing out the World Cup or are people already a little bit resigned to the prospect? Yeah, I think people are a little bit resigned to the prospect or maybe maybe it's the people I interact with. Uh, maybe it's my fault. Uh, maybe I'm uh, interacting with the wrong people. But I think in general, right, I think there's a certain feeling of it's really, really bad to miss out on the World Cup. Mm. But it almost feels like the only way to get any change happening as far as how the national team is managed and how it will be managed going forward is a major a major blow such as this because people have seen that an extremely unsuccessful world cup and an extremely unsuccessful euro campaign didn't change anything at all right so uh it kind of feels like the the last ditch i don't think anyone wants to miss out on the world cup but in general i think people will find solace in thinking that if we do miss out, there will be change and there will be kind of forcefully, we'll be forced to breathe new life into the national team. Thiago Estival. Tom, Duncan, blimey. I mean, Portugal are kind of in that situation that a lot of international teams are in sometimes where they have, as Thiago said, an embarrassment of riches, but all players that play in slightly different systems for clubs under you know, better managers, basically. And I think international football, as, as time goes on, is, we see this in tournaments as well, which tend to be quite low scoring these days. And I think it's because it is a little bit more safety first now, because you can't really enact the kind of, um, you know, high grade football that a lot of club teams at the top play these days. So, yeah, I think that's why I think someone like Wales has probably benefited, where you do have this, you know, figure like Gareth Bale, who is literally the, the totem that you build a, a, a team around. And, um, yeah, Portugal did play within themselves very much so in that in that qualification process. The draw against um, Ireland in the penultimate game was probably even more harmful than the last game. Really, if they'd won that, it'd be pretty much fine. So, I think yeah, they they could lose to Turkey. They could almost certainly lose to Italy. I think so. Yeah, I, I share Thiago's faint pessimism. I mean, they feel quite Manchester United-y, Portugal, and not only because of Bruno Fernandes and Cristiano Ronaldo, in the sense that on paper they look like they should be very good. I mean, on paper, Portugal should be <laughs> probably the best team in the world, certainly if you look at those attacking players, um, and yet that's not quite how it, not quite how it's, um, it's worked out these last few months, and then you're, you're left with this kind of eternal 
Cristiano Ronaldo chicken and egg question, which is the exact same question that gets asked at, at Manchester United. Mm. Are Portugal only winning games because Ronaldo is able to drag them out of a tight spot? Or is the fact that they're so dependent on him in the first place the reason that they aren't, they aren't able to win games more comfortably? Mm. Uh, and his status is such with Portugal and with United that you, you, you know, you're never going to find out uh, the answer to that because he has to, he has to play every game. And it, you know, if you look at his scoring record for Portugal, it is... Um, you know, it is absolutely exceptional. There's a game which people point to as the best they played under Fernando Santos, which he didn't feature in, and it was, I think, 4-1 against Croatia in the Nations League, and that's fueled to the argument that they'd be better mo- moving on. But, I mean, that's, as you say, a, a well, well-trodden well path con- conversationally. I mean, we could get to a situation where Portugal and Argentina in the World Cup um, later this year and probably shouldn't have Messi or Ronaldo in the team, but kind of have to. Mm. And obviously, obviously, famously, neither of them have ever scored a knockout goal in the World Cup. They've scored fewer knockout goals in the World Cup than Matthew Upson. So um, they do have some catching up to do in that regard. Will they get the chance this time around? If Portugal can get past Turkey, Turkey managed by Stefan Kuntz of Germany at Euro 96 fame. Turkey, who we all got very excited about before Euro 2020, only for them to go and lose three games out of three and finish with the worst record of any team at the tournament but who since then, Turkey, who have gone seven games with only one defeat, although it was 6-1 to the Netherlands, the one time they actually faced a, a decent side. Anyway, if they do get past Turkey, Portugal will be facing either Italy or North Macedonia. Which will it be? We'll talk about that next. Keep listening for Julien Laurent versus Benji Lagnado in the Intertotally Cup, sponsored by Paddy Power. And we apologise for any bad language you may hear. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Smart Speaker, and now ad-free on The Athletic, this is The Totally Football Show with James Richardson. Oh my, Fabio Caressa, as a nation stared into their very own sofa-based World Cup watching Abyss, failing to beat Sweden in the World Cup qualifying playoff in 2017. Joining us now is James Horncastle. Hello. Hello. James, 2017 was the Piccolo Apocalypse. And then 2020, brackets one, close brackets, was the resurrection. But here we go again. Yeah, indeed, James. I think uh, nine players uh, that are on the squad uh, for this World Cup mini playoff series uh, were also involved in the playoff against Sweden in 2017, which didn't go so well. So they're hoping for better, but at the same time, Italy don't really go into this in the best of Nick. Um, I think going into this North Macedonia game, you know, will it be Gianluca Mancini and Alessandro Bastoni who are playing at centre-back as yeah, Chiellini, Bonucci... Don't seem to be ready, uh, not 100%. They're hoping to save them maybe for the, the playoff final, uh, should they make it past North Macedonia. But uh, but yeah, not not ideal for any of these teams really to come into such massive games mm. um, cold because obviously they, they haven't uh, been together since sort of November time. So that's a, that's a long period. And some criticism of, of Serie A for not you know, postponing the last week of fixtures so that the national team could just dedicate themselves to to, to this game against North Macedonia, which <laughs> does feel a little bit desperate. Right. Yeah. Is it fair to say that the prevailing mood in Italy is, I got a bad feeling about this? <laughs> yeah, there is pessimism. I think I think Mancini did a, a good job putting a brave face on it um, at their first press conference at um, Coviciano, where he said, uh, look, there is no plan B. Um, mm. it's, it's, it's all about plan A, which is to win the World Cup. Um, oh, nice. And, and so, yeah, so, I mean, they, they, they're going through. Um, you know, he, he refused to think about anything else. I mean, I, I found the tone of reporting in Gazetta on, uh, on Wednesday morning, I don't know about you, James, to, to, to be a little bit fatalistic in, in that they were saying, ah, well, 
It's all FIFA's fault, you know, FIFA with these... I mean, how how can they put together a series where Italy, who are undefeated in qualifying, have to go through a playoff? And mm. in that playoff, they they face one of the top seeds. They they may face one of the top seeds in Portugal. These these FIFA boffins mad? Do they not know how to to hold the tournament? Maybe this should be like a, an international super league where all of the best <laughs> nations just qualify automatically. <laughs> Yeah, there was also a lot of, uh, the World Cup needs us. We are history. The tournament <laughs> yeah. will be worse off without us. Yeah, they, they ran through the, the four teams in, in, this, in this kind of qualifying playoff bracket. And, and, and Italy's section was just, it started with, we are giants. Ricordiamoci chi siamo. Yeah. It's also the family motto of the Veghorst. We are giants. <laughs> nice. Uh, second Bernie reference of this pod, strangely enough. Uh, you mentioned nine of the squad being veterans of the last ill-fated playoff. The opponent is kind of familiar as well because North Macedonia, although by no means the favourite in this semi-final, played a part in that disaster in 2017. It was a 1-1 draw with North Macedonia in Turin which saw Italy having to go into that playoff in the first place. Crikey, yikes. Now, of course, since then... There's no more Goran Pandev, and uh, Elif Elmas is suspended. But what about Italy? The big issue has been, James, goal scoring. Mancini's called up a number of players. Who's going to have up front this time? <laughs> well, I think it still will be uh, Chiro Immobile. Yeah, we did inaugurate, I think, on the Monday Europod a few months ago, you know, Hero or Chiro. Um, mm. Which kind of you know connotes that Chiro is neither hero or zero, or is he? We don't know because um, despite racking up these incredible goal-scoring numbers in Serie A, despite the fact he's what the top scorer at the moment and could become only the second player in the history of of, of the league to to win f- the Capocannoniere four times when he plays for his national team. Um, yeah, it doesn't inspire a lot of confidence. Um, but I, I still think that one of the reasons why they are in this position is because he was unavailable in, in September uh, uh, when they played their first uh, kind of qualifiers and they drew against Bulgaria. And, and, and obviously they they drew against Switzerland as well when Jorginho missed a penalty. Mm-hmm. That was another talking point in uh, in today's press conference, which was, will you let Jorginho take a penalty, Roberto? Because he missed in both games against Switzerland. Had he put at least just one of those away, uh, they wouldn't be in this position. Um, he's still backing Jorginho. Um, but, you know, I think the, the hipster take is to just play the Sassuolo front three, isn't it? It's mm. just to play... Raspadori, Scamacca and, uh, and Berardi as, as the front three because that's what they do at Sassuolo and I think in 2022 they're, they're the top scorers in Serie A or at least very close to being so he won't do that um, but um, you know I mean I think one of the reasons they're playing in Palermo James is the last time they played here they won 9-1 uh, against Armenia uh, under Mancini so let's see if they can run up the score again All right North Macedonia finished second in Group J losing just twice in 10 games they won away at group winners Germany. They drew with Italy last time they faced off. What's going to happen Thursday, James? Oh, I mean, now you put it like that. Also, you mentioned there's no Pandev, but there is Alexander Tchaikovsky. Um, I'm not sure if you're familiar with uh, Tchaikovsky's work, James. I, I'm not talking about the, the kind of 19th century Russian composer, but um, he was up front for Palermo. Uh, played in Serie A and of course yeah, it's like going home for him and uh, I think he scored in one of those games in 2017 um, as well and yeah I, I think they've got nothing to lose have they in that they say look you know we've often finished third and fourth in World Cup qualifying this is the first time we've got ourselves in a position to go so yeah, that's unsettling to me I must, I must say Wow well yet another major nation having major doubts Ahead of Thursday night. Also on Thursday, Sweden against Czech Republic. Sweden have called up Antony Alanga for the first time to the senior squad. Winner of that game goes through to face Poland, who'd be given a bye because originally they were due to be facing Russia, but nobody's going to be doing that on a football field. I wonder if the Sweden fans have adopted the Man United fans song about Antony Alanga. Have they, Tom? Or whether, or I, I wonder. I was wondering aloud oh, whether okay. they've got their own Antony Alanga songs. Time will tell. England are playing on Saturday. They've got a friendly with the Swiss, Duncan. Yeah, they do. Um, <laughs> it's 
it's gone under the radar slightly. I mean, I, I guess the the biggest potential story is Harry Kane's got a hat trick in his last two games. No England player's mm. ever scored three consecutive hat tricks. He's on forty eight goals, so he's only five behind. Uh, Rooney's record so he's bound to overtake that at some point it's unlikely he's going to do it against Switzerland they've only considered two goals in their seven games uh, under Murat Yakin so yeah just prep for the old World Cup Rooney breaking that record feels so recent and was so historic and yet here we are we're already contemplating the end of his his brief tenure as England's all-time record scorer I mean, Harry Kane does seem to break a record every week at the moment, which, given he's having one of his worst ever seasons, is, you know, unusual, I suppose. But he has been good recently. But, yeah, you're right. It's, um, really, and it felt like really, really ground his way to that record. You know, the, the Bobby Charlton 49 was, was there for so long and he finally got ahead of it. And then Harry Kane just is going to amble past, you know, smashing penalties into the top corner. Anyway, that's England-Switzerland. Tom... What's interesting about France playing Ivory Coast on Friday night? So we could witness one of the more improbable uh, France debuts of recent years after Jonathan uh, Close uh, of Lens uh, was scored up for the first time. 29 years old, um, sort of had been knocking around in amateur football for years, uh, was playing in the French fifth tier uh, as recently as 2016. Uh, but has been at Lens since 2020 um, and has become one of the, the best uh, right-sided uh, defenders, right wing-backs in the country. And France have got this real right-sided problem mm. in that it's the one area of their entire squad where they don't have any world-class players. And so there's, been, there's been this debate um, over the past couple of seasons about who could possibly come in and plug that gap. And Lens fans started a hashtag that was like, oh, you know, pick Jonathan Klaus. And it was this sort of in-joke that, you know, he should he should get the call. And then with Deschamps switching to this back three system with wing back, which is exactly the same way that Lens play, the drumbeat for Jonathan Klaus has been getting even louder. Um, and he finally got his first call up. So he's expected to make his debut against either Ivory Coast or South Africa next week. And there's a place in the squad, if not the first 11, uh, to be claimed, just due to the, the paucity of options. Keep your fullbacks close, but your German strikers closer. That's very nice, Duncan. I'm sure, listen, we were all thinking about close, no cigar, various options. Duncan's <laughs> gone for the pretty much the, the, the best option there. Sorry, Tom. There, there is debate about how to pronounce his name because in France he's generally referred to as Jonathan Close, but when mm. Didier Deschamps read his um, his name out in the squad, he went for the kind of American style Jonathan Klaus uh, pronunciation. Transfer release uh, would be a good name for if he has a child. Yeah, just a convenient get out Klaus. <laughs> so yeah, one to look out for. We're sponsored for this episode of the Totally Football Show by Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform helping you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify's there to help you grow. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, which is up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. Plus, you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. And what's more, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 support is there to help your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Now, because you listen to The Totally Football Show, you can sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash totally, all in lowercase. So go to shopify.com slash totally to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. That's S-H-O-P-I-F-Y dot com slash totally. You're listening to The Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. And with Paddy Power, if something doesn't go quite to plan, you can get your money back as a free bet if one leg of your bet builder lets you down. Which is excellent news for Everton fans when they make their Lampardian transition from serious to funny to serious once again. Pre-match bet builders only get your stake back as a free bet. Minimum four plus legs. Maximum free bet is £10. Excludes enhanced match odds. Online exclusives and T's and C's apply. Elsewhere in the wide world of qualifying in South America, Brazil and Argentina are through. Ecuador currently lies third. They'll get at least a playoff. Then you've got Uruguay, Peru and Chile with only three points between them. Uruguay lying fourth. 
in the last of the direct qualifying places. They play Peru Thursday in Montevideo and then they take on Chile. So it's all to play for really between those guys. Colombia, though, look like they're going to miss out. Fifth place in the South American qualifying. I think I'm right in saying it's the playoff with Oceana, don't they? Oceana, nobody knows who that's going to be. They'll have a final four in Qatar. Only one team has already qualified for the final four to determine who goes through to the playoffs. So we'll come back to that one. It's uh, New Zealand. Other options in that uh, final four include Cook Cook Islands, yeah, Yeah. Solomon Islands, Tahiti, Fiji and Papua New Guinea. So, I mean, we'd all love to see one of them there, with all due respect to the Kiwis. Well, I remember seeing Tahiti Tahiti qualified for the 2013 Confederations Cup in Brazil and it was... It was quite. It was quite the event. Concacaf Canada are the team out in front. They are unbeaten in qualifying. They're four points clear of the USA and Mexico. Three teams go directly through. There are three matches to play. Canada haven't qualified for a World Cup since 1986. Mexico and the United States go head to head on Thursday. Currently in fourth spot and heading towards a playoff with somebody from Asia are Panama, but they've got Costa Rica only one point behind. What about Asia? Who's through from there? Well, Iran and South Korea. Thank you. They're already qualified. They'll be joined by two teams out of Saudi Arabia, Japan and Australia. At the moment, it's Saudi Arabia and Japan. But Japan, visit Australia, possibly even as you hear this, listener, because I think it's Thursday morning, uh, that game, in Oz. Uh, Lebanon uh, are three points behind United Arab Emirates. If you're looking for exotic flavour for your next World Cup, were Lebanon to catch United Emirates, they would get into that playoff spot with with whoever doesn't make it out of Japan and Oz. It's complicated. We'll come back to this. Qatar, though, are qualified because they're hosts. Then there's Africa. This isn't complicated. None of the five places have been determined yet. They're going to be sorted out by the playoffs between the winners of the 10 qualifying groups. Five two-legged clashes. There's Egypt in a rematch of the Africa Cup of Nations final with Senegal. Cameroon taking on Algeria. Mali against Tunisia. Democratic Republic of Congo against Morocco, and I'm going to call this the pick of the playoff draw, Ghana, Nigeria. I mean, that's where the action is, isn't it, in Africa? Like, in each of those ties, there is going to be a big yeah. football nation left behind. I mean, it's almost absurdly... I mean, obviously, you know, we're, we're kind of... We're kind of still getting our heads around the idea that either Portugal or Italy won't make it to the World Cup. But for so many teams to be on this kind of knife edge is, is remarkable. But also, hats off to CAF, who haven't sort of engineered it, so at least a few, you know, there's, it's just good old-fashioned head-to-head knockout, here we go. It's, um, I think this is definitely the, the peak excitement of the federations uh, this week. Excellent. All right. Well, pick of the peak excitement is, uh, we've suggested, Ghana, Nigeria. And that's why joining us now on the line, literally from Ghana, is Carl Anker. Ahoy hoy, Carl. Ahoy hoy, James. How are you doing? Very well, thank you. Right, I want to get the mood in Ghana ahead of this absolutely massive clash with Nigeria. The Joloff Derby, they're calling it. Uh, question one, <laughs> who makes the best Joloff and what's the difference? Uh, I am uh, legally obligated to say Ghana makes the best Joloff. Uh, it can be with uh, what uh, meat or fish you, you tend to, to make your jollof with. So uh, Nigerian jollof tends to have a little bit more meat in it compared to Ghanaian jollof, which can often have uh, chicken, beef, or sometimes tuna even. Um, and I think, right. well, in my experience, Nigerian jollof tends to be a little bit more fried in the rice, whereas uh, Ghanaian jollof is a bit softer. All right, Carl, <laughs> there's certainly going to be beef in this jollof. Oh, so much. Derby. So Wednesday morning, uh, Nigeria's Minister of Sport, Sunday Dare, was asked about what was going to happen in, in the matchup. And he very plainly said, we're going to beat the shit out of them, them being Ghana. <laughs> wow. Uh, they're neighbours, so it's a derby. But is there more to it than that? So interestingly, they're not direct neighbours. So Ghana and Nigeria are, are separated. Not? No, they're separated by Togo and Benin. Uh, in West Africa. But such is the the nature of the rivalry and the way the rivalry is pitched. Um, Ghanaians and Nigerians essentially pretend there is no, there aren't two countries that separate the two. Uh, So this is a competition between two of the biggest English-speaking countries in West Africa, the most, two of the most populous nations in West Africa. And the rivalry is interesting in that it is two or three notches above a friendly rivalry. 
hence Mr. Dare's comments that I wanted to beat the shit out of Ghana, without there ever necessarily being a full-blown military invasion or action. So one of the core reasons for, for the aggravation is to do with economic sanctions that Ghana employed in Nigeria in the 60s, and then Nigeria uh, responded with in, in the 80s. So in 19, I want to say 1983, Nigeria essentially put together a bunch of economic sanctions that required the relocation of around about 2 million Ghanaians who were living in Nigeria at the time. Uh, and to this day, uh, the soft plastic coverings a number of Ghanaian citizens used as they were quickly evacuated out of the country are dubbed Ghana must go bags. Uh, so much of the, the insults from the Nigerian side will be, this is the game where Ghana must go. They, they, they're going to get kicked out of the World Cup. Whereas uh, for the Ghanaian perspective, it is once again a rivalry of, oh good, our very annoying, much bigger, we don't want to admit they're big brothers or, or slightly fraternal, but uh, we very much like to th put a thumb in their eye as well. So that's a very mm. quick summation of why these two nations hate each other. Ahmed Musa this week has no, said excellent. this is a battle for Jalof and everything in between. So I think what's interesting is Ghanaians and Nigerians will argue over everything. Who makes the best Jalof? Who has the uh, strongest men? Who has the most attractive celebrities? Who has the, the greatest celebrities in the UK diaspora? So you will also see battles of Jalof between grime artists like Stormzy, who has Ghanaian heritage, versus Jeremy, who is of Nigerian heritage as well. This is a, there's a fantastic quote about the thriller in Manila that says Joe Frazier and Muhammad Ali weren't so much fighting for the heavyweight championship, but they were fighting for dominance over each other and over each other's legacies. And I think that is what this sort of qualifier will be. Let me ask you then, Carl, who has the better team right now? It's Nigeria. It's really painful to say, but this is this is perhaps one of the strongest Nigerian sides I've seen in a very long time. They've done very well to to get a number of dual national players in, um, whereas this is arguably one of the worst Ghanaian sides I've seen since maybe two thousand six, maybe two thousand five. To put this in really stark contrast, uh, Ghana's manager Otto Addo has recently said he's very very happy that Jordan Ayew. Uh, is going to be included in the squad despite being testing positive for COVID-19. Jordan Ayew is many things, but a prolific goal scorer he is not. Whereas Nigeria can boast uh, Napoli's Victor Oshiman. So, <sighs> it's going to be difficult for Ghana to win this one. But you never know. All right. They've got Otto Addo, who's the Dortmund assistant manager when he's not in charge of Ghana. They've also got George Boateng among his assistants and, in a technical advisor role, Chris Hooten. Is this... Is this Ghana from the kind of nadir of the AFCON performance, bottom of the group? Uh, is this? Do, do you see signs of, of recovery? Possibly. This is a really interesting one. Uh, I'm writing a piece for the Athletic that essentially argues one of the key uh, tactical requirements from any African country is a heady mix of um, opportunism. You have to be incredibly flexible because you never know when your golden generation is going to come along, and you never know when a player is going to catch fire over a tournament. But I think one problem the Ghana national team's had for a little bit is they are essentially too flexible. So this current setup of a manager who's also assistant manager somewhere else and a technical director and some assistant managers, there isn't one clear voice to arrest things when things get badly. This is essentially because their AFCON went so badly, they had to fire their head coach. And now they've got, rather than have one okay coach, they've decided to just you know replace it with quantity. So... I have no idea if this is going to work. Uh, Chris Hooten's tactical preferences of a slightly pragmatic defensive football are a contrast to Otto Addo's more attacking styles at Dortmund. So uh, if Ghana go a goal down quite early, I'm not sure what the tactic will be in the first leg. Very, very interesting. Well, the first legs will be played for all five of these two-legged clashes on March 25th. That's Friday with the returns four days later. How long are you staying out there for, Carl? I hopefully will be doing the first and the second leg. Brilliant. All right. Well, best of luck with that. And many thanks for joining us today on The Totally. It's been a pleasure. If you'd like to know more about African qualifying and indeed Jollof Rice, then Carl Anker has a piece for you. Should be up uh, Thursday on The Athletic. There's also a great... Breakdown on the kind of five clashes over at your theanalyst.com. A. Duncan Alexander.
Yes, it's very good. It's uh, written by Owa, who did a lot of stuff for us during the uh, AFCON. I think, actually, Carl touched on it there, and I think it's quite an unusual um, setup in the sense that AFCON was so recently. And, you know, we've got Senegal against Egypt, which was the final. It's very difficult for teams to play each other a lot of times in a short space of time and kind of have the same outcome. So, you know, it could, that could be quite good for Egypt. Um, you know, Ghana had a terrible AFCON, but, you know, they might bounce back. Um, you know, Mali are trying to get to their first uh, World Cup ever. Um, Cameroon, obviously got a new manager like Ghana. Um, Rigobert Song, first player to assist Steven Gerrard in the Premier League. Um, so, yeah, it's, um, I think it's set up to be pretty unpredictable, um, and hence why it's probably the, the federation I'm looking forward to the most this week. Brilliant. Was that the Sheffield right. Wednesday goal that Rigobert Song set up? Yeah, not a classic assist, I would say. But Didn't exactly know. put it on a plate for him, but hey, they all count. Are you well, familiar with the, with the Steven Gerrard goal in question, James? No, not at all. Describe it to me. Young Stevie G playing at Anfield, attacking the Anfield road end, picks the ball up in like the inside right channel, darts past a couple of challenges into the box and then hits it across the goalkeeper into the left-hand side of the goal. Gerrard, shooting chance for him. He's going all the way. What a brilliant goal! Steven Gerrard makes it Liverpool 3, Sheffield Wednesday 1. One of the best Liverpool goals he ever scored. Really? And when did, where did Rigobert Song fit into all of this? I was not aware that he even did until 30 seconds ago. We'd better check that, that actually... He definitely was the first player to assist Gerrard in the Premier League, but obviously some girls don't have assists, so... Ah. While Duncan's checking that, you, listener, are keen for us to finally get on to today's fat slice of intertotally excitement. That's up next. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Intertotally. Ooh. Monday saw Daniel Story survive a scare with Flo Lloyd Hughes to reach the semi-final. He'll be facing the winner of the Lindsay Hooper Duncan Alexander quarterfinal. Hmm. Today, though, we're on the other side of the bracket for what is an international playoff match. Up first, it's a quarter-final. He supports PSG, so insert your own punchline here. From Laram des de Enfield, Julien Laurent. Jules! Hello, everyone. Hello, Jules, says everybody. Jules, great to have you back. Uh, how are you feeling? A good performance against Matt Davis-Adams in uh, round one, and now here you are, one, well, six questions away from a semi-final again. No, that's right. It was a bit too easy for my liking the last round. I expect a much better opponent this time, much, much tougher. But I think the pressure is, is on him, you know, because he's the quiz master, really. Will he crumble like PhD did against... So many teams before, right. um, you know, it's tough to say, but all the pressure is on him. I, there's, I've got nothing to lose, really. I, I'm the underdog here. Well, there's so much to unpack from that, Jules. You are a master of the mind <laughs> games. Throwing the P- PSG at your opponent you know. and inviting Karma to bring it on when you say the questions were too easy. All right, well, let's meet the man who will be taking you on. his opponent. He'll be hoping this Anglo-Gallic affair will be an omen for West Ham's quarter-final with Leon in April. He is last year's inter-totally runner-up. He is Benji Lanyardo. Jumping indeed. I, I'm thinking inter-totally but with just the intros. That's that's for next season. Probably. <laughs> ben, Benji Lanyardo. Lo- lovely to have you back as well. Bonjour tout le monde. Yeah, I hadn't thought about that actually. The um, just just to do the kind of inverse mind games as well. I'll take a loss today if it means we beat Leon next week. Um, so you know, I wish you all the best, Jules. Right, of course, you two are old friends in in quiz terms because when you made it through to the final last year, last year's runner-up, Benji Leonardo, who was it you beat in the semi-final? It was it was my opponent today. Yeah, um, I let him you know, win. Was, really, was, let's be honest here. I let him win. You know, he had a tough year. COVID, right. West Ham missing out on top four. You know, 
Delish Hamlet as well. He sleeps the club. Like I, I thought, okay, he needs he needs that boost. Let him go through. All right, you say that, Jules, but I know that in your fridge there is a plate of something called revanche, <laughs> a dish marked revanche. Exactly the sort of parle du garbage <laughs> that I was expecting from from Jules. He's coming straight in from every angle. Let's do this. Uh, Right, yeah, absolutely. As you know, now that we've reached the quarterfinal stage, there's an extra sixth question. There's also tense music to help you focus on the correct answer. As before, though, uh, the winner will pick up £10, which Paddy Power places on the bed of your choice, with the winners going to a charity of your choice. Benji, what is your charity? My charity, Jimbo, is Well Grounded. They are a social enterprise that help underprivileged people train to make coffee. All right, then. Very good. And what's your bet? My bet, Jimbo, is for Harry Maguire to score for England this weekend. OK. In the friendly with Switzerland. Very nice. Jules, what about you? Uh, my charity is Dementia UK, uh, very close to uh, my heart and the family's heart. And then my bet is uh, Portugal and Turkey drawing at the end of the 90 minutes in their World Cup playoff tonight. And then I'm not sure who's going to go through via extra time or penalties. OK. Wow, drama. Right now, what we're focusing on is who's going to go through from this quarterfinal. Benji, you're up first. If you're ready, here comes question one. Benji, you're about to hear a famous football pop song, but played backwards. Can you name the song? Benji. What the hell? Nick Miller, you strange man. Um, I think I think it sounded quite World in Motion-y. Indeed. World in Motion by Redro Wen. Excellent. One point. <laughs> How do you expect normal people to find this answer? All right. Next time we get normal people on the quiz, Jules, we'll worry about that. Question two. Jules, Jules clearly, you, you don't listen to enough backwards music, mate. You I've never heard to... of either that song, that band, <laughs> and less, even less backwards. Bloody yeah. <laughs> Question two. Which two clubs, other than Crystal Palace, have called Selhurst Park their home? Wimbledon. Correcto. And the other? Yes, yeah, of course. Oh. Of course. Don't give me that, of course. You see what he's doing here. <laughs> Being so, so Crystal Palace, um, Selhurst Park. Which other football clubs have made use of that as a as a home ground? Wimbledon is one. As a guess, but I'm gonna say Charlton. Is correct. Of course oh, it's Charlton. I would have said Charlton. Charlton. Ah, see, well take done. that, Jules. Well done, but I, I had no idea about Wimbledon. I would have said Charlton and then yeah, made something. Right. Okay. So two for two as we head into question three. For which MLS team does Gonzalo Higuain play? Now, Gonzalo mm. Higuain. Let's see your hands, Benji. Yeah, oh my God. Gonzalo Higuain. <laughs> um, okay, this, this is sort of guess, but I'm going to say LA Galaxy. Uh, it's Inter Miami, the other one. Bollocks. Ah, never mind, okay. Okay, fine. Question fine. four. Who am I? I played in the 1998 and 2002 World Cup finals. I won the Champions League in 2003, and my club career took me to Spain, Italy, Angola, Greece and Uzbekistan. So that's Rivaldo. Oh, very good, Benji. You didn't need my detailed breakdown. No, indeed not. Uh, three for four. As we head into question five, which club has been managed by John Toshak, Chris Coleman, and David Moyes? Oh, uh, Sociedad. Correct. Real Sociedad. And question six. Roberto Carlos did it in 2002. Sammy Kadira did it in 2014. And Rafael Varane did it in 2018. What is it? Can you say the question again, please, Jim? Of course. Roberto Carlos, as much time as you like on this, Benji. Oh, uh, Roberto, Carlos, <laughs> Roberto Carlos did this in 2002. 
Sami Khedira achieved it in 2014, and Rafael Varane in 2018. But what is it? What did they all do? 2000. Okay, did they win the World Cup and the Champions League in the same year? Are you asking me? I'm. Um, that's my answer. It's correct. Benji. Could I put Christian Kallenberg's win in '98. Well, that's also true. That's also true. So five out of hmm. six, Benji. How do you feel about that? Well done. Yep. Pretty pleased. Pretty pleased. Right. I think you've got to take that, haven't you, Jimbo? You certainly do. Jules, you must be pretty pleased as well because you were saying how you, it was all a bit easy the first time. You wanted a stiff a bit of opposition. Boom. Really impressed, especially with the song, the first one. The rest yeah. was, the rest was okay, but the first one yeah. was wow. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I know, listener, it wasn't difficult, but let's just play along. All right, <laughs> Jules, here come your questions. No starting with this. Question one. You're about to hear a famous football pop song sure played backwards. Can so you can you name the song? Jules. I mean, you should take a consideration where people come from when they participate in this quiz. But how long have you been in this country? 17 years. The only song I know is Football's Coming Home. That's the only song you know? Yeah. Like, I, I, that I could think of mm-hmm. football-wise. So, Football's Coming Home by... It's correct! Yeah! <laughs> I don't even know who sings it. Um, it's Badil and Badger Skinner and the yeah, Lightning that's it, that's it. Seeds. All and right. the Lightning who? The Lightning Seeds. <laughs> that's the band? Yes. Oh, wow. We'll move on to question two. Two cities hosted games at Euro 2020 despite the fact that their countries did not qualify for the tournament. Name one of them. And Baku? All right, two for two. Question three. Which country has won the Africa Cup of Nations the most times with seven? Egypt? Is correct. Needing two more to tie Benji and force a tiebreaker, a perfect score will take you through to another semi-final. Question four. Who am I? I was named African Footballer of the Year four times. I won the Champions League in 2010, and my club career took me to Spain, England, Italy, Russia, and Turkey. Samuel Eto'o. Is correct. Question five. Which club has been managed by Carlo Ancelotti, Maurizio Sarri, Rafa Benitez, and Luciano Spalletti? Napoli. Is correct. And now we're tied. And this question takes you through to the semi-final, Jules. Patrick Clivert is the youngest. Paolo Maldini is the oldest to do what? in the Champions League final. Jules, you're through to the semi-final <laughs> of the 2022 Masterclass. Inter-Totally Cup. Have that, Poch. I don't crumble like my club. <laughs> fuming. Absolutely fuming. Benji. Benji. <laughs> very good, Jules. That's very impressive. Thank that you, was Thank Super, you. super impressive. Just out of interest, did you know the other, the other city that hosted a, a game at Euro 2020 despite not having a country, having skin in the game. Yeah, of course, of course, of course. We know where it was. Where? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, my, my mind went blank. Yeah, your mind's gone blank. I understand. The, 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 your brain is flooded with endorphins. Oh, yeah. I was prepared for the competition. And yeah, yeah, and now, you know, you've, you've this slightly. I mean, collapsed. this slightly taints, taints the win, obviously. Oh, it but, doesn't. But... Oh, my God. You English people. <laughs> Go to Cass if you want. Go to Cass. Um, no, listen, I'm, I'm, I'm very happy for you, Jules. I'm very happy. Oh, okay, it was Bucharest, of course, Jules. Do you remember where they played literally all the games apart from... Yeah, Wembley? yeah, yeah. They yeah. played a lot of games. All right, they did indeed. Benji, thank you so much uh, for taking part. Sorry we're not going to be seeing you further on in this competition, but look forward to having you with us on The Totally Show soon. Sure thing, yeah. Uh, and good luck, Julian. I wish you all the thank best. You, don't, don't crumble, thank you. okay? Thank you. <laughs> Woo and indeed who, Jules, you're through to the semi-finals of the Inter-Totally Cup. 
And if you think Jules is onto a winner with his bet that Portugal and Turkey will draw after 90 minutes, it's priced at 15 to 4 on PaddyPower.com and on the Paddy Power app. Prices are accurate at the time of recording. It's over 18s only, and please gamble responsibly. Wow, into totally everybody. And you're right, listener, none of last year's finalists are left in the competition. This one is wide open. Tom, you were all over those questions. Where yeah, was once that? again, that's that is how I roll. Pressure's off, then I am I am there. <laughs> but the listener, the, the joy that Tom in Tom's face as he was rattling off correct answers was something to behold. And I feel like there's a lot of pain just under the surface. And I feel like right, that's Tom? not gonna help with the pain. In in some ways it'll make it even worse. But I'm genuinely I'm genuinely intrigued as to whether I've just been getting like a, a raw deal with uh, the, the difficulty of the questions that I've been set, although three mm. consecutive first round exits suggest mm. perhaps not, um, <laughs> or whether I do just choke under the pressure. It's um, it's like Wales and World Cups, isn't it? You've got, you got the skills, you just haven't got the qualification protocols. Next year, perhaps enter under a false name and see what happens. See if Nick pulls the, the questions from a different file, not marked really tricky ones for Tom. Tim w. Walliams. There you Tim go. Williams, yeah, there Just we a go. thought. Anyway. Yeah, it's not a bad idea. Duncan, you're through and you're going to be facing Lindsay in your mm. quarterfinal. The other quarterfinal bout will be Charlie Eccleshire against Dom Fifield. Those are coming up next week. It's like the African playoffs all over again. Just Yeah, very much, actually. Big hitters all over the shop. Yeah. Well, that's right. Uh, as I say, it all gets going. Sorry, Tom, you wanted to bring us up to date on the Rigobert song, a Stephen Gerrard assist conundrum. Yes, I've, I found uh, video footage and I can confirm that Rigobert's song did indeed play the pass that teed up Stephen Gerrard's goal against Sheffield Wednesday. Um, Magnificent. A little sort of 15 yards. Final player to ball. assist Stephen Gerrard in the Premier League was Ooh. a World Cup star for England. In 2014. Against Stoke City, wasn't it? No, it wasn't. No, that was a penalty, so... A uh, World Cup star in 2014? For England, Raheem yeah. Sterling? I mean, nope. I'm going to give you one vegetable. Beetroot. Producer Charlie knows it. Let's hear from Producer Charlie. Ricky Lambert? Correct. Ricky Lambert. I mean, I might have been stretching things saying World Cup star. But, what was you know. the beetroot reference again? Well, he worked in a beetroot uh, jar factory. Before oh, yeah, pickles. Pickle beetroots. Yeah, and everyone referenced it all the time around then. It was very much in vogue. So. Right. Mm. Well, thank you for sticking with us, listener. That is uh, the picture on World Cup qualifying. It all gets underway early Thursday. And I uh, hope you enjoy it all. Totally Football Show returns Monday. Have a great international break weekend and we'll see you then. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Listen ad-free on the Athletic app and discover bonus content by following the Athletic UK Audio Plus on Apple Podcasts. Find out the very latest subscription offers at theathletic.com slash totally. The Totally Football Show is an Athletic Media Company production and sponsored by Paddy Power. The Athletic.